0: All right. Hello and welcome to the Launch Notes podcast. I'm Blake Thorne from Launch Notes and thrilled to be joined today by Chase Wilson. Chase is one of the savviest marketers I know, has led product marketing and marketing efforts at some really exciting companies like App Academy and Atlassian, where the two of us actually work together. He's now founder and CEO of Flywheel, which is doing some really cool things in the product-led growth world right now. So we'll be sure to dive into what's going on with Flywheel and the whole PLG space. Chase, welcome to the Launch Notes podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Blake. Great to get back in action together.
0: Dude, we've worked together. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I've, I've loved just sort of like bouncing ideas and, you know, working together with you over the years and keeping in touch sort of in our post-Atlassian worlds here. But what I don't think I know, like how you kind of got in, uh, got into the world of marketing and tech in the first place yeah sure. Uh, well, you
1: know, thought I was going to be a, a politician growing up, which did not happen, thank goodness. Uh, but when I started off in marketing, I was in the uh, the PPC area back when you know Google didn't automate half of the uh, the paid advertising space. and did that for a few summers and some internships. Uh, ended up going over to run growth marketing, uh, took over sales team at that point as well, led some marketing there. Uh, then headed over to PMM space where we met at Atlassian. uh It's a very mm-hmm. fun time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was that was how I got into marketing in general. Uh, and then you know, Flywheel was its its whole other thing. So I don't know if you want me to to go through the incubator days over at Atlassian, but
0: well, I'm we, sure we'll get uh, into that. Yeah. But uh, the the PP were you actually working on like political campaign stuff with PPC side or? Was this post? Oh, <laughs> you know,
1: I think I dabbled in it, but they didn't really give me any uh, any budget for it, so not really. But yeah, no, yeah. I, I did like a like a summer internship at a at a political office and whatever else. But then, yeah, after that, I went into travel, essentially travel and auction sites PPC advertising um, oh, before okay. I ended up over at the coding bootcamp. Yeah,
0: what uh, what what kind of ground folks in what era of PPC this was? We talking kind of. So mm. Early twenty teens. Uh, yeah, it was. So this was like generate with
1: Excel macros, a bunch of variants uh, of you know, copy yeah. and headlines and spam them into Google Ads and see which ones worked and call the bottom you know forty or fifty options. Uh, nice. Lots of concatenation and all that jazz.
0: Yeah, yeah. So sort of a uh, uh, fast uh, orientation into the sort of. The quant side of marketing and the sort of analytical rigor that you uh, have brought to other roles is kind of snapping into focus now.
2: Yeah,
1: real, real blessing on that front. To be honest, started off uh, deep in Excel. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, what, how did you? Uh, how did you find your way to Atlassian, or what was? Um, what was your path? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the company folks are most familiar with. <laughs> what, was, what was your path there, and what? Um, what kind of stuff did you work on there?
2: Yeah,
1: so I was a, I was a small startup guy for most of my career, right? Bunch of smaller groups and small teams. Uh, I think most were bootstrapped, actually. One had raised a little bit of money, but otherwise pretty uh, cash poor. And so I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in San Francisco. I should really try out this uh, Silicon Valley big tech thing. applied uh, around a little bit. And then Atlassian and status page, uh, which is where we met, obviously For sure. was super exciting because that was, uh, <clears throat> that was more of a leadership role on the marketing side, right. In a sense. So mm-hmm. ran marketing over there, team of one, so not a big marketing squad, but, uh, mm-hmm. nonetheless. Yeah.
0: yeah, definitely familiar. And then actually at Atlassian, you got involved in, um, uh, you'll, you'll know the names better than I am, but basically the internal, uh, new product mm-hmm. incubator program that they have over there. And actually, uh. Kind of on the ground floor of standing up some some internal projects and new product lines there um dive into that a little bit what was the what was the whole story there yeah so i was on status page and
1: then uh elassian announced and i think it was joff actually redfern who you may have had on the launch Notes yeah, podcast or have actually, been talking to you.
0: he did an event with our uh, community
1: yeah nice yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: so Sweet. big big fan of joff um Yeah, he spun up uh, essentially the version of like Area 120 over at Google inside of Atlassian. And uh, so I pitched up a product idea over there, which is like a vertical SaaS solution for HR, actually. And then uh, that did not go through, but they pulled me over to be the founding member of Jira Work Management as it Mm -hmm. became. And so started that up with like a little team of four and brought that to market
0: in uh,
1: five or six months, something like that. So that that was how I got started there
0: yeah yeah i think that's uh that's probably good advice for folks in terms of just like uh just setting your intention and and putting yourself out there with like you said like the first uh maybe the first thing didn't take the path you thought it would but probably wouldn't have opened the next door for you yeah that position where you were you know putting yourself out there pitching a new product and probably directly led to Mm -hmm. the uh the opportunity with the uh with the incubator program there.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I think to this day, I'm the only marketer or maybe even non PM whoever pitched a product idea, uh, over at Atlassian. And then when they needed a marketer, they were like, well, you know, we know one by chance. Uh, so that was definitely the, the path.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's a good, uh, that, that's good sort of advice for, I think other folks to reflect on and take to heart is like, a lot of companies are looking for, you know, folks who can think outside of their immediate role, and a lot of people just don't don't take the risk or don't take the leap or you know can't sort of stretch themselves. Um, what 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 do you think about like I don't know like how can people kind of like have the confidence to to make moves like that and not get sort mm. of hold you know by their own perspective. <clears throat>
1: sure sure
0: um well i do think
1: that you have to build some competencies outside of your core competency so Mm -hmm. i think marketing is a little tough uh in the sense that there are so many disciplines right so it's easy to feel like you're making a lot of progress by if you're in demand gen right moving over to product marketing learning a bit of that learning a bit of email marketing getting into content right getting into physical like in-person events Mm-hmm. Uh, the list goes on and on. And so it's very easy to stay within marketing itself uh, and build like a T-shape in just one one area of it. Uh, I think it's significantly more valuable to dabble just as much within the marketing as, as outside of the marketing sphere uh, into product and design and engineering. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that was definitely what was helpful. Right? Coming from smaller startups, it was easy to say, I can wear these hats, I've done them before, right? Uh, whereas if I think I had been big corp, uh, marketing for a long time, I probably wouldn't have had that, that confidence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, um, that's a good way to put it. Like, and I, I see this all the time. I probably fell into the trap too. Or it's like, you see the, you sort of limit yourself, even, even when you're doing your kind of T-shaped development, you limit yourself to like other functions of marketing and don't think, you know, outside of that. And I always thought it was cool working with you. Cause you could tell you were always, you know, whether it was like, you know, Cracking into Figma to make some designs or doing some SQL queries or doing, you know, doing something on the data side or doing something that's a little more technical. It's like kind of being able to, mm-hmm. see, you know, play in those other functions. And that can also really help you like see the big picture too. Yeah. Huge,
1: huge uh, for my career. I will
0: say it doesn't have downsides. I did get in trouble. Uh,
1: people did not love that the marketer was in Figma or doing their own SQL queries. But maintain that it was the best decision I made. So yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to take a little risk, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, a little, a healthy dose of ask for forgiveness, not permission is, <laughs> um, is is I think a good thing, even even if you're at a larger company. And uh, yeah. You got to know where the line is you know, or else you can get in real trouble but um, like a healthy dose of that is, is good mm-hmm. and you know people people actually like to see it and yeah some some folks can be bureaucrats and get tied in knots about that I remember one time I think it was at Alassian it was at Alassian I got uh, I got uh the Survey Monkey password taken away from me cuz <laughs> Someone didn't like that I took it on myself to send a customer survey and, and my, my SurveyMonkey password was revoked. So, uh, but, uh There's always, you're, you're going to run into stuff like that, but you'll, uh, I, I think the the ends justify the means a lot of times. Um, dude, let's dig into some of that. Like, uh, you know, you mentioned design and, and SQL. Like, what are some of those, what are those functional areas that like, especially if you're a PMM right now, it is is awesome mm-hmm. advice if you're, you know, if you're in a PMM or, or even like a, a product position and you have aspirations to sort of like be able to jump to a different function or jump to like mm-hmm. a more senior leadership role, you 100% need to be developing this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Folks aren't interested in just hiring, you know, if you want to be a PMM to director of PMM, you can kind of get there being a PMM, you know, expert. Mm-hmm. If you want to go from PMM mm-hmm. director to chief operating officer, or VP, or product management function entirely, like, you kind of got to be thinking, uh, thinking this way. So, yeah, like, tactically, what are those Mm. uh, handful of things that, I guess, worked for you? And maybe what else? What else do you think? uh, Even if it's not something you worked on? Like, what else do you think people should be kind of thinking about?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I was very fortunate. For many reasons, but uh, specifically on this front. So early on in my marketing career, sort of like my first real marketing job, I guess, I had a mentor uh, who was really, really fantastic, very data driven, right, uh, marketer, Mm -hmm. but also very design driven marketer. And so uh, that was where I picked up Sketch originally, not that we're banding around uh, product names, but. Sketch was sort of the the precursor to Figma at this point, very similar programs. And uh, I use that primarily for building ad creative, right? So we were a small company, we didn't have a designer uh, for ad creative. And so got really into that, which helped me then build presentations and slides and that kind of stuff. Uh, and the advice I always got on that is, you know, spend like an extra 10% of time on a task to make sure that it's really polished because this polish will sort of help you stand out from the crowd. Yes, the content is most important, but making sure it's like easily presentable or readable or like, you know, condensed correctly uh, is super helpful, especially for, um, you know, presenting to leadership or whatever else. Mm. So I think that helps in the design area. And then I actually had sort of a, you know, should I be a PM or a PMM
2: mm-hmm. decision
1: at one point? Yeah. And so I really started studying for these PM interviews, you know, which are case interviews a lot of times. Uh, famously kind of from Google and their style of questioning. But the things that were really important there were uh, a lot of these like PM prioritization frameworks. So there was this like website, I think it's still around called foldingburritos.com that did a really good job of sort of walking through all these different matrices to decide what features to prioritize. Right. So I spent a lot of time in that. And so both of those sort of experiences, I did, End up deciding not to go into PM and staying in PMM, um, mm. which maybe is a positive lesson as well. Like, I, you know, PMs seemed cooler at the time. Uh, <laughs> they got more money, right? And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, definitely I'll be a PM. But yeah. I decided I'd be a better PMM relatively than a PM. I thought my mm. ceiling was higher on PMM. So I decided to stay on that track. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, kind of meandering here, but uh, those two experiences helped me then once i was in pmm be able to understand a little bit more about the process that uh you know my teammates were going through and why they were making decisions the way they were right and then how to actually go in and maybe offer suggestions uh if that was the right kind of stance Mm -hmm. so i did think that was very helpful for sort of getting to where we are now um but You know it was pretty organic so you certainly can try to build out a little bit more so that you can have those like larger organizational impacts right which i think is what you're talking about once you get up like to the vp level you need to sort of understand how the org functions and Mm -hmm. how the roles play together a little bit more Mm -hmm. uh so yeah but i you know whatever i'll yeah yeah this later but i'll pass it back
0: yeah yeah and then um and then uh, on, on the data side, um, did you intentionally like sit down one day and say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn SQL," or did you have, you know, mm. did you have a particular itch that you were trying to scratch, and learning kind of was the output? Yeah.
1: Uh, so this also happened at that first marketing gig uh, that I had, or the first real role I had. Mm-hmm. Again, very just everything worked out super well. But that was a that was a coding bootcamp. And so, actually, my current co-founders from that coding bootcamp, as are all of our uh, engineers. Yeah. But the thing that I learned there was a a little bit of code, right? Not um, yeah. uh, a bunch, but some Ruby to be able to sort of understand how hard implementing uh, you know features are. It's pretty insane once you kind of abstract or get rid of the abstraction layer there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that you know, part of the curriculum was SQL, and so I ended up having to learn SQL there as part of the introductory course. And then very quickly found that that was super useful for marketing, right? Like being able to get into the database directly instead of relying on Salesforce fields or you know whatever you've built out, mm-hmm. uh, whatever is in your marketing automation software was was super helpful. Because normally I'd be like, "Hey, can you give me this list for an email send or something?" And I'd yeah. wait till an engineer had time to get around to it and whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did make a mistake once. I will say, you know, there are again downsides to this as well. Uh, I pulled yeah. a yeah, pulled the list down and mixed up two of my my join columns and sent a, a bunch of emails to the wrong people. But otherwise, Oh
0: nice. Well, things, <laughs> things happen. At least you didn't uh, delete some. Delete a table. crazy. The old drop table. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Amazing. Um. Yeah, that's, um, and I think it's great, you know, like you mentioned, not having to always rely on, you know, pulling in technical help or pulling in other help. And mm. in my experience too, like, even if you don't get a 100% of the way there, like you're going to get so much more mm. I don't know, sort of internal capital and help and like folks are going to be so much more willing to, mm-hmm. you know, help you out the next time and like, you know, Get you what you need if they can see like hey this guy's kind of you know banged his mm-hmm. a little bit to try to figure this out mm-hmm. and then then come to me and and i can kind of like fix this out but you know it wasn't just like people don't like being treated as just like i'm a request engine you can just come yeah whatever you want so to be able to go and sort of show your mm-hmm. work and be like hey can you help me get this i tried it ways a b and c something's not clicking I think that goes along. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely a definitely an advantage. Also, a fine line, right?
1: Uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, you go to a subject matter expert, and you're like, "Hey, so I I did this thing, and you know, they can take one look at it and realize it's a uh, you know not the not the smoothest or maybe the most efficient query, and you know, it probably is joining too many places or not on the right thing and then they know better and so they're like their instinctive reaction is why are you doing this right <laughs> yeah exactly <clears throat> like you're that's my job i'm supposed yeah. to be doing this for you but i do i do think it opens up the conversation of like okay great well why were you doing this what are you interested in you finally get to talk to the analyst instead of mm-hmm. to your point just requesting something from them Uh, you build a relationship there and then, you know, over time, a lot of times they'll, they'll kind of give you a little more leeway than you had before. And before you know it, you're, you're querying
0: away. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too, is just like keeping your ego in check and kind of, kind of with the right attitude and not being like, you know, Hey, I can do this too, but help me out or something like kind of showing, you know, showing humility can go a long way. Um, talk to me about, uh, you know, a lot of PMMs, especially, you know, getting a seat at the table is a real common, Mm. right. Right. And you've obviously, Mm. you know, you kind of get one when you're able to like do some of the stuff you were able to do at Atlassian with, uh, with standing up a new product. Um, Mm. what's the, you know, what's the key to like getting a seat at the table if you're, if you're a PMM? Yeah. Well, uh, controversial topic you know
1: across the board i think it's something a lot of marketers deal with is, is how to earn this whatever illustrious seat at the table um yeah i do think you have to earn it yeah i think that a marketer shouldn't by default have a seat at the table um for, i should make this more clear uh should not have a seat at the table for making product decisions um mm-hmm. and like roadmap decisions mm-hmm. i think it is extremely helpful to have a marketer in that conversation but the wrong marketer will just make it worse right you you need to have some of the context uh i think to be able to you know contribute effectively uh Mm -hmm. and positively in those conversations instead of just adding noise so i'll give more tangible examples here Mm -hmm. uh so back to the prioritization frameworks right for pms They have a lot of things that they would like to do. Their engineering team only has so much output. They have people with certain skill sets and competencies, right? You're not going to know any of that unless you've actually talked with the engineers or understood what's happening on the roadmap. Uh, You need to know what the company KPIs are, right? And you need to know how your marketing uh, can affect those KPIs. And so you effectively have to build the case that if we prioritize these features, it will improve our go-to-market in these ways. And these metrics are going to move as a result our competitive edge will increase or decrease or whatever it happens to be right with these specific competitors who are taking away this amount of market share and are repairing this many times and are like you know who did you use before who are you churning from us for kind of conversations you just have to lump it all together and if you don't have all of that and if you're not the best at understanding the market which you definitely need to be uh you just don't have enough context like you're not adding enough information if you're just like, oh, this would be really cool, and I think I could like do a blog post on it, like great. Uh, or you know, competitor did this thing, great. But like, have yeah. you talked to a user, and is that why they're choosing that product? Was it just like a flashy feature? Um, there's just too many considerations. So yeah. Anyways, there, there's not like a very specific thing here, but you essentially need to carve out a little niche of what you can offer that. No one else can on the team uh, that is going to help you make better decisions as a business and as a company. And then I think you will find that you do have a seat at the table.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's um, no, that's 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 certainly great advice. And I think a lot of a lot of marketers fall short because they haven't they haven't put the work in to just have that expertise. And like you said, to be to be an expert on the market. Um, uh, other um, other sort of. Idea bouncing in my head right now. I had um I had a, a previous manager who's who gave me some really good advice which around this which was basically like mm. tr- try to get close to the try to get as close as possible to the sale right like mm. try to get you know know how money is being made know how the yeah. whole yeah. organization makes money mm. the closer you can get to that inflection point where revenue actually mm. happens and the more you can be seen as a resource, who's actually, you know, making an impact at that moment, because mm-hmm. it sort of stuck out. And, you know, you need to do the work in top of funnel world, and you need to do mm-hmm. research and all that. But like, if you're consistently like, it's like having like a really kickass ass or something, if it's like, yeah, it's yeah. A person where having them in the room, like creates more revenue, then, you know, mm. the rest is going to fall in place, right? So, not to jump
1: too much on the pitching flywheel side here, but that is why I started flywheel. Uh, yeah, yeah, over right. at a... <laughs> yeah, so i was I was on that uh, that new product team, right? And our biggest goal was we need to understand our users so that we can market more effectively to like the right ICP or mm-hmm. right deal customer profile, right um, yeah. and get a lot of traction here. We didn't have a lot of salespeople. Ellassian was very product led right It sure. was an organization. and so that effectively meant like all, User growth was sort of on me, if you will, <clears throat> and I didn't have a big budget. Uh, I did have some budget, but you know, it, I'll be honest, was not good at spending it uh, either. At big corps, very hard process for me. But yeah, anyways, yeah. So um, you know, I think once we sort of got into that, the ultimate goal was okay, great. You're like you're getting leads, top of funnel, but what we really need is we need active users, right? The product team needs active user count. Mao needs to go up. Uh, month over month. And then Mao turns into paying customers over time, right? We have some kind of conversion rate that's like routinely there. So even with just that, you can sort of proxy how many of my leads are likely to buy, right? Which is normally pretty hard from, you know, submitting a form down to revenue, you can Uh sort of do it, but it's like kind of sketchy. So flywheel was sort of my solution to some hacks that I was doing over there. Which was to say okay great we did all this marketing we have all these people engaging with our content right they're interacting with ads whatever they're signing up but now what if my marketing is getting a user to be active in the product what of my marketing what specific assets right are getting people uh to adopt new features within the product that we think are higher leverage right or more likely to lead someone to buying and then ultimately can we create an algorithm that based off of that in product data and the marketing data that drives it right decide who's most likely to buy. Uh, So that was, that was what Flywheel became ultimately. But yeah, I think that proving that your marketing is doing things in the product or doing things towards the sale is the way that you say, yes, you need to give me more budget or I earned my budget, right? Or what I'm doing really matters. It's not just like fluff. You're a huge content guy, prolific in the space, right? Like really great way to think about content. I think that's undervalued. Uh, today, because content marketing sort of stops at the sign up, I think that's that's not the way that content works at a product like group, like company. They use it the whole time. Help docs, right? I mean, come on, documentation. All of these things are are really marketing assets and ways for people to get more value out of the product.
0: A hundred percent. I think people people screw that up on both sides of the sort of sign up moment, right? Where they mm. assume, you know, think you think things like. Product tutorials, help docs, you know, support docs. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Our big thing, uh, big thing for us here at Launch Notes, like change comms, product updates, stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. traditionally, that that gets pigeonholed as like, oh, this is post activation or post sign up, Mm -hmm. you know, post buy content. And then there's pre-buy content, which is you know your nice Mm -hmm. marketing stuff, and it's such a, like an old world way of framing it to think like people are only going to consume the content that's right for whatever side of the buying, you know, the buy button they're on. Um, and a, mm-hmm. maybe in a, you know, in a sort of legacy tops down implementation that, that kind of works. You get someone bought in yeah. go from mm-hmm. to multi-year contract and then they can't do anything about it. And it's like, Hey, our support documentation sucks, but kind of tough shit because, um, you are, you know, we've got your money already, you know, the kind of mm-hmm. uh, already approach to product content. And then the, yeah. also, like the, you don't need to like, you don't need to see this yet approach to marketing content. Mm-hmm. A lot of times what can make the difference? Like we say this all the time with launch notes, like people are going to like peek into what it's like to be a customer, whether that's checking mm-hmm. out your or checking out your, you know, your documentation, yeah. your support especially in the bottoms up world, like extremely now is the case in the bottoms up world, because it's like the, uh, the first couple weeks or months or year, even with a PLG product could be like pretty irrelevant for your business commercially, but it's sort of like setting the table for a bigger commercial moment. So you're, you've still got to kind of be marketing to those people. You've still got to be putting like, you know, kind of marketing grade content and assets in front of them. Um but it's gonna be a lot closer to product, right?
1: The um I think I think that's a great phrase actually marketing grade. Um use that all the time. You know, yeah. Not to be confused with military grade, which means nothing, fun fact. Um (laughs) so uh you know like your your support documentation, your help docs like engineering documentation, I don't think should be marketing collateral, right? Like they shouldn't in the general sense that like it is a piece that is intended for someone to buy it or to use it or to start using whatever.
0: The job to be done with that.
1: Exactly. Right. Like people who just slap CTAs all over the place trying to get people to sign up because like there's more surface area and more opportunities for someone to sign up. Like have it, have it out of the way, whatever, have it in the header, have it in the footer. Right. Um but like the number of times that we have even in my startup evaluated other software and I send it over to an engineer or something and say like, Hey, I really care about this attribution engine here or how it works, or, Hey, I really care about sort of how this fits into the app. And does it load like asynchronously or synchronously? Is it going to slow down performance, whatever. But like there are oftentimes these little deployment issues or like how it really works under the hood that uh, are big factors in us using the product or not and so based off of those i will sign up or not sign up right like the value prop was there but there's more that i need and so people who either think that to your point like it's post sign up and so that's where it's always used that's that's incorrect right Mm. um and also just like stripe became famous for having amazing documentation right uh becomes a new way to improve your ability to attract new customers
0: yeah I mean it a hundred percent becomes like part of your part of your value prop and like one more of like the list of things people look at when they're deciding if you're the right you know decision to make or not and yeah, yeah I, I always use the analogy of like the um the sort of like consumer goods experience of like you know say you're gonna buy a new like i don't know like a a phone or a TV or something like that. Mm-hmm. You see, like the very glossy, like marketing grade advertisements, mm-hmm. and you see, like the very curated, like eye popping designs behind yeah. the, you know, the box on the store and the whole, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, you know, the labels on the ads and the the whole mm-hmm. beautifully designed experience you get before you buy. And then you open the box and you crack the instruction manual. And it's just like the most painful, <laughs> it's just like yeah. the most painful, like content you've ever seen. Cause it's like, Oh God, like there's no, there's no incentive to make that great. Cause it's like mm-hmm. the, the consumer already bought, we've already got their money. It's that like right. yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking and with SaaS, <clears throat> combined SaaS deployment models with just like bottoms up, go to market motions. That kind of thinking is just like a recipe for disaster too. It's mm-hmm. like, Mm-hmm. you're gonna get like places wonder like man why do we have all these like dormant signups or signups that you know onesie mm-hmm. twosie plans that never expand it's like you yep. haven't yep. thought to market to people post sign up and like mm-hmm. seat guy kicking it kicking it around um mm-hmm. you're the marketing and you know the marketing and selling work is not done but a lot of that translates to Back to talking about product marketers, like how can you inject a little, you know, mm-hmm. a little more delight and charisma into that the rest of that experience, and not treat post sign up as you know not our problem anymore.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think when people do address it, it's like a sledgehammer approach, too, right? So I'll I'll hear pretty frequently for some reason, um, you know, we're not even doing an email drip post sign up yet. So once we do that, like you know, numbers are gonna go blah. blah yeah. Uh, okay, great. So they they implement that. It's all good. Um, and what you like learn in reality when you try to focus on these experiences is like different roles, uh, try your product, different levels of people try your product, they engage <clears throat> with different channels that you have, right? And so really, you should be sort of designing your experience for this like ICP or the specific customer that you have in mind, right? which is all well and good. And so some people do like email branches for different ICPs with, you know, different content or whatever else. But Mm. ultimately that just gets like a backseat, right? Like that kind of experimentation is a nice to have. Uh, Mm. It's never a need to have. And no one, I don't know any marketers at least that are like, I put out this content and it's for this group and I know how well it performed with that group. It's just, it's very, very rare for that to actually happen. So obviously we're on a vendetta to change that, but uh yeah. It's a, it's a super important experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What else, I mean, what else have you guys learned about this whole world as you have dove into, you know, dove into the the startup game with Flywheel?
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, and we can stay on this topic or we can talk about, you know, how to get there in terms of career progression, but, I'll keep um, going. yeah, I think uh, a few things, one. Getting marketers past the concept of signups are the end goal is an evolution, right? I think that the more forward-looking companies have realized that for a long time now. Alassian, right, famously sort of used week two Y or week two weekly active instances uh, as a KPI to say like, yes, my marketing got people in the door, but it also got them to be using the product two weeks later, right? Like that is huge. That changes everything about who you bring in and how you calculate like ROI on a channel, uh, it's massively different. And so, you know, we're seeing sort of an uptick there uh, and headwind wise in the space, uh, obviously the market has gone down, which has its own effects on the, uh, you know, startup scene and even the large company scene. And so we're starting to see CMOs getting their budget cut because they're not able to prove uh, that there's, you know, their marketing activities are, increasing further down the funnel KPIs Mm. Uh, so we've seen a lot of interest recently from sort of the c-suite saying hey are you able to help me keep my marketing budget by proving that what i'm doing is doing more than just generating leads right um or improving that over time so those are some of the the more recent learnings at least that are more applicable
0: very cool yeah very very cool how do you uh do folks because i go back and forth with this like the ROI of an individual asset or an individual piece mm. of content versus the ROI of, like, an overall program. And how do you kind of um, – how are folks thinking about that or how are, how are you guys thinking about that? Yeah, totally. So uh, I think it does get classified differently
1: mm. when, when there are dollars spent uh, on paid, usually, right, uh, or some kind of partnership. <clears throat> You need to see a more direct linking. But the reason for that is because it's like a different cost center, right, in the organization. So you have like a marketing budget, and then you have salary, which, you know, presumably is the content, unless you have an agency, in which case now it's budget, but uh, going towards that. And so people don't calculate ROI for content usually the same way because it just doesn't get observed that way at the higher levels of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be good, right? Uh, I think it would be pretty cool. Uh, and we can do it technically, but no one really wants it to say, you know, here's this person, here's their salary, and they've produced far more value, right, for the company than person Z. Sure. Uh, we're not going to get anyone in a head-to-head battle there, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that you know, I, it that's is true. Right? There's content that's better than other content. Yeah. Uh, I'm
0: it sure would, you've written some. You know, that's what happens to the, every sales rep is listening to this, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <for sure. laughs> welcome, welcome, party. <laughs>
1: Yeah, prove your yeah prove your worth uh, yeah. Led a sales team at one point that was super helpful for understanding the like marketing sales interplay
0: uh, yeah, yeah we'll do
1: that on a, a follow-up uh, <laughs> podcast episode
0: yeah yeah man um yeah it's um it, it it's such an interesting it's such an interesting debate and conversation with the you know the roi of the marketing assets and what's actually driving mm-hmm. product adoption and it's gonna yeah like with the current market climate it's it's Mm -hmm. you know some feet is definitely going to be held to the fire here it'll be interesting to see sort of and I think you guys are in a good spot to to sort of emerge as you know part of a new ecosystem of I don't know just how people think about this and get more intelligent about it I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of catching up for you know like in all things probably marketing side too like a lot of B2B is mm-hmm. catching up to do still to the sort of, you know, the rigor uh the, you know, consumer side has. So I mm-hmm. think I, I partly think of you guys as kind of bringing some consumer grade thinking to, you know, what, you know, what marketing assets we put in front of customers and why, how, yeah. and, and all that.
1: Yeah. B to C is is a ruthless arena. I don't know if you've spent any time there, but uh, I spent a little bit early on in my career, and whew, that is <laughs> that is hard. So
0: yeah, yeah, computer, you can um, when your um, when your cogs are like uh, <laughs> in the pennies and dollar range, like <laughs> everything's everything's way different. So, um, dude, what uh, what else do we need to get into here?
1: Sure. Um, you know, most of your audience is PMs, PMMs. Do so you
0: get questions? Yeah, about, yeah. Oh, And uh, you're product, doing... Product managers, product marketers, yeah. Product and
1: uh, you're doing, you know, product announcement, uh, you know, functionality to some extent and getting the sort of like PMM arm of introducing improvements and, and how that fits into to new purchases or upgrades, right? That whole arena. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of curious uh, on your end because I view that, oftentimes as an in-product change log feature or something right like uh, you know click the little icon and there's an indicator that says there are new features you know check them out whatever modal pops up when you go into the product that can adjust um i've felt for a long time right that the biggest value add is out of the product not in the product in the sense that you know whatever your activation rate after sign up of people who use the product a week later is 10 mm. percent, maybe you know that would be pretty good Uh, So you got 90% of these people who signed up hanging out in the wings, right? Um, But you have like sort of a web deployed experience as well. So where do you see the distribution of like engagement with your product? Is it mostly in product or out of product or?
0: Um, Yeah, it, it really, it kind of comes down to a customer customer by customer basis for sure. Mm. Um, And a lot of them are, um, a lot of them are doing like the embedded widget thing and like, Mm-hmm. That to them is kind of like the bread and butter of like the whole experience, um, but a lot of them, you know, it's 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 the email or just sort of like the opportunity to have like an external, you know, website or portal that can be there that people. Mm-hmm. Can. Something we see a lot of, and I've actually noticed this is a good point, kind of what you're, I think, what you're kind of bringing up here, um, and this is like a very. Under uh utilized or misunderstood product marketing, feature marketing, launch opportunity. Um, a lot of our customers, and it's smart to do using launch notes or not, this is smart to do. A lot of our customers have the opt-in for launch notes updates right into mm-hmm. their onboarding experience. So if you sign up mm-hmm. into a trial, mm-hmm. you're gonna start getting product updates. You're gonna start getting this update emails. Um it's a really, really I don't want to say easy but super potent way to you know re-engage someone who signed up for a trial. it might be six months yep. it might be a year ago, but like you never know what that one thing is gonna be For one, it can just be like a consistent touch point like they don't you know they're getting mm-hmm. emails from you. they don't forget about you um, everyone worries about sending emails too much like,
2: I think yeah. kind of yeah.
0: like that person got 14 emails from J Crew like before lunch. Like, was
2: like <laughs> I was just oh, thinking about J.Crew.
0: <laughs> emails are not the headache that you're worried they are. Uh... And it's just a nice little regular touch point that, like, even if they mm-hmm. don't open them, like, hey, like mm-hmm. this company is, still exists. They're out there. It's like free, consistent awareness, which is what brand marketers are always trying to do. But it's on a very Mm -hmm. tactical level where it's like, cool, they're out there doing product development. You never know what that one little feature is going to be. That's like, oh, the this is the integration I was waiting for. This is like, I've been at so many companies where it's like, we tried a product, it didn't quite work out, but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, like we didn't go forward. But six months later, we learned they had this new integration, or they had this new feature, or they did this new development Mm -hmm. or something, and then that's your little like reactivation. So it's sort of like a. It's like a persistent reactivation campaign that's always running. And the bulk of, like, look at conversion rates. Like, most people who sign up for your product, unless you have some insane 50 plus percent conversion, like, are just, like you said, out there in the wings. Um, It's such a giant missed opportunity to market to those people. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're, you know, most of them are probably in your ICP. They had some desire to try you for whatever reason. And like yep. shit changes, like maybe they were busy, maybe they didn't have budget, maybe they, you know, they they had other priorities in Q1, but now it's Q3, mm-hmm. and your announcement email uh, reminded them you're out there, and they come back. So yeah. we see that, that a lot, and I think that's like a major, like un unsung benefit um, and sort of tactic that all marketers, all product marketers, should be thinking about. How do i consistently definitely and i
1: i think even more so you know in sort of the like product led era i don't know if it's quite an era yet or anything but uh yeah people seem to think right that you know you have this free product or free trial and everyone coming in is ready for the product and the reason that they didn't stick around was because the experience is bad or because the onboarding is bad or you know i got the wrong person in the door like maybe those things all could certainly yeah. be true um but because the bar is so low for entry we have sort of replaced the uh, earlier awareness stage almost or whatever that marketers used to hearken on oh, yeah. about like we need to get all this stuff for them to like get on a demo call that's so much higher lift than like signing up with an email right Mm. and so um we now have this whole awareness stage is in the product or more likely briefly in the product and then largely out of the product and so giving updates about the progress that you're making maybe in domains that they care about uh will keep you like a lot more top of mind and will help you kind of improve that but yeah I, i think until someone has been like active for a month or two weeks or whatever you yeah. should still consider them practically as like a lead, right? They're not really a user.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's great advice and and the like timing too, like like you were saying it's like you know, yeah, you should be thinking about like the way, you know, the things you can control and the things you can improve, but a lot of the times they didn't go further after their sign up because you know, Wrong time, wrong budget. Right team wasn't right. right in place. Right, something fucked up on some mm-hmm. other product. They're using, mm-hmm. you know, some other thing they're working on, so they had to go focus on that. Um, yep. Yep. Like, let you know, be a sort of like presence. It's like you got their email address now. Like they can come into the mm-hmm. product. Um, there's so many like higher fidelity ways now to like be in touch with them and no mm-hmm. really come back to your site, which I think is kind of what you guys are working on too. So yep. um, yeah, man, killer, uh, killer advice, dude, I think we could talk all day. Um, I'll wrap this <laughs> up here. Uh, where can folks, um, where can folks connect with you, find Flywheel, like what, uh, what's your, what's your CTA for everyone? <laughs> you got it. Uh, yeah. Our domain is theflywheel.app.
1: Nice. Uh, quite the domain. Um, you can find me at Chase at the theflywheel.app very easily or on LinkedIn or whatever else. But uh, yeah, I like to hang around the, the product-led growth space. Anyone who wants to nerd out, geek out on metrics or you know, trying to figure out a seat at the table situation, love to chat about that all the time. Uh, but yeah, always a pleasure, Blake. Love chatting with you. And I'd love to be on again if you, you start bringing people for round two or whatever.
0: We'll, else. we'll do a round two here. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into some more of this. But uh, yeah, man. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. You got it. See, See ya. Ya. Hey, Blake here again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes podcast. If you work on a product team, whether you're in product management, product marketing, product ops, or any other supporting function, go check out the Launch Awesome community. Hundreds of the top product minds from companies like Google, Atlassian, Twilio, and more are in the community sharing their expertise every day. This free Slack community is a great place to connect with and learn from real product leaders, actual practitioners who are in the trenches, building and launching products at some of the most exciting startups and SaaS companies around. To join, head to the link in the show notes or just do a quick search for Launch Awesome and it'll come right up. Finally, if you're a fan of this show, don't forget to subscribe so you'll be first to know about new episodes And of course, we'd be thrilled if you left us a review. Reviews not only help other people find the show, but also just lets us know which content you find most valuable so we can create even more of it. Thanks again for being here.